Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. So we live in a, a meme culture. We live in a culture where um, we, we say things and, uh, and, and when then we put them over a picture, right? And, and if they're like short and wise, like these wise, pithy sayings, we like that. It's short, quick, memorable. If it's short, quick, memorable, and funny, it's even better, you know? So we, but, but the truth is we've always liked wise sayings. We've always liked that kind of stuff. Um, and this goes back you know, thousands of years. The book of Proverbs in the Old Testament is, in many ways, it's like a collection of wise sayings. They're supposed to be punchy and memorable. You've probably heard of Confucius, right? Confucius says, and then there's this wise saying that goes after that. We've always liked that stuff. You probably have some wise sayings that are rolling around in your head. You got them online. You got them on Instagram. You, you, you got them from the Pro- book of Proverbs. Maybe you got them from your parents. Uh, your, maybe your mom and dad used to say some things, and those things are just lodged in your head, and you find yourself saying them because as you get older, you become your parents, right? Things like, I, I found a couple quotes that can maybe come to us from our parents. There's a couple quotes. Listen to this one. Marry the person who makes you laugh in the moments when you should be angry. It seems like wise advice, right? Marry the person who makes you laugh in those moments when you should be angry. I think this is why my wife married me, because I'm that guy. I can tell you from personal experience this will backfire on you. This doesn't always go that well. Like, it's not that great. It's kind of wise. Here's one. Neither a borrower or lender be. Now, I think I got that quote, that financial advice, from my mother. Um, now, mom typically watches the live stream, so mom, if you are watching, can you confirm in the chat box if I got this from you? Because I think I did. Does this sound like a thing you would say? Because... I thought, oh, that's kind of cool, financial advice from your mom. Don't be a borrower or a lender, right? Like, be careful with that kind of stuff. Okay, wise advice sticks with you, right? Another one, uh, the best way to have friends is to be a friend. I like that. I've seen it uh, on a church sign, and it says the best vitamin for friendship is B1. Get it? Like that? It's almost a dad joke. It's so bad. It's like... The best way to be one, yeah, okay, but okay, it's, it's, a good, it's a good thing. I think our desire for those memorable pieces of wisdom to live our lives, I think that the desire for that is universal because we, we, we want to we know how to, how to do things and live well. The problem that most of us face is not um, getting knowledge. We are crammed with knowledge our entire lives. We, they, from, from your earliest age and, until now, you know, you've been pouring knowledge into your head and people have been pouring into your head. You've learned things. You've learned about the scientific method. You've learned how things work and you've learned, you know, the ins and outs of all of the things and you've got all the facts about history and art and music and you know who won the World Series in 1986. Like all this stuff is just crammed in your head. Some of you are like, I have no idea and I don't care. But there's a couple of you, probably some dudes in the room who are like, I know exactly who won that World Series and it was important especially if you're from New York. Um, so you, you've got these, these facts sort of jammed in your head. There's a lot of knowledge. We're not short on knowledge, um, but we don't, but that's not always what is needed. We don't need to know what is. We need to know what to do with what is. In, in short, what we need is more wisdom, not just more 
knowledge. Our culture is flooded with knowledge. In fact, we have a device for knowledge. It's called a smartphone. It's smart because it knows more than you do. That's the thing. Did you know that Siri and like Cortana are smarter than you? Like you ask them and they know all the things, right? It's amazing that the, the technology that you have in your purse or in your pocket is greater than the library of Alexandria or like whatever in history. Like it's incredible the, the knowledge that you have access to. We have knowledge. You can pick any topic in the world, some of them true, not true, fake news, real. If you want to be a flat earther and believe that the earth is flat, there are websites galore. There's information on that. You can look it up and find out about There's clubs for that of I'm more flat earth than you're flat earth. And like there's, it's a thing. It's out there, but even other things, you know, you want to be bird watching, there's bird watching, there's apps, there's websites, there's things you can do for that. All the information is out there. We are not short on knowledge and information in our culture. We're short on wisdom. We don't need a smartphone. I think we need a wise phone. What would that look like? I mean, the smartphone's like, hey, Siri, how much sugar is in this brownie? And Siri will tell you. But a wise phone would be like, You've already had two. Do you really think you need the third? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't that be helpful? You know, a wise phone. This sounds like a good thing. Compliment her outfit. Oh, yes, that's a good idea. Yes, okay, thank you. You know, like, wouldn't that be a, a useful thing to have in, in, in our world? You think that joke is funny, but you're going to pay for it later. Like, thank you. Like, save me from putting that out there, right? Um, we're, we're not short of, of knowledge, we're short on wisdom. And the, and the classic difference between the two, you've probably heard this, um, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad, right? That's the difference. You gotta, you gotta know what is, and then you gotta know what to do with what is. So I wanna talk about that today, about wisdom in particular. We're, we started this series and we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's a, it's a book, it's actually a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul started a church in the year about 51 AD in the, the city of Corinth. Now Corinth, in its day, was, um, it's, it's kind of in between Athens and Sparta. So if you're familiar with 300, uh, which is a, a sort of fictitious thing, but about real wars like uh, the Peloponnesian War, you've probably heard of that in 400 BC or something like that. Um, that area between Athens and Sparta, these peninsulas and stuff in, in Greece is called, um, in, in there is the city of Corinth, kind of sits on a peninsula um, in between Athens and Sparta. And actually, Corinth in Paul's day was a big city, about 100,000 people. It was larger than Athens even was. It was a, a big, influential city. It had um, a lot of retired military that, that settled there. And so you had this cultural influence of Athens and philosophers and thinkers and all that kind of stuff. And you've got some of the military influence as well. And you've got, you've got all these kind of people coming together um, to, to live in this pretty, pretty diverse city of Corinth. So Paul arrives there in 51 AD. He tells people about Jesus and he forms a faith community, uh, a church. And, and they, he, he stays with them for about 18 months and teaches them. And then he leaves. And then a year or two later, he gets a report back from them. And he hears from a letter from people who were there that they're not doing very well. They're having a hard time holding it together as a church. And so he writes them a letter based on things he's heard of go what's going on there. He writes them a letter that we now have as the letter of 1 Corinthians. And he 
uh, talks to them about unity, especially in these first few chapters that we're talking about for a few weeks. He talks to them about keeping it together as a community and, and individuals as well, and, and gives them a basis for their unity that I want to get into and just pick up from where we started last week. So we'll start with 1 Corinthians. Um, it, this is continuing on in, in chapter 1, uh, and I want to pick it up with verse 18. Uh, it's, here we go. For the word of, cross, of the cross, whoa, hello. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Okay, there's two ideas here. We're going to come back to them. We're talk about it this week and next week, but there's two ideas that the, the word of the cross is um, a folly to those who are perishing, but th- then those who are being saved is the power of God. So he's talking about power with the cross, and he's talking about wisdom as well. Um, I'll talk about the power piece a lot more with the cross next week, but he says the cross and the idea of Jesus being crucified is folly to, to people. So if you think about this, um, and this would be true today even, but, but in the ancient world, if you went up to someone and you said, I follow Jesus, if you're in Corinth and you're talking to your neighbors and you go, I'm a follower of Jesus, and they're like, oh yeah, what, what is he doing? What, did, he, did he teach something? Like, yeah, he taught things. Yeah, how did that go? Well, he died um, and he was killed on a cross, and I'm, I'm, I'm with him. A lot of people would be like, hey, you're kind of an idiot. Like, what are you thinking? Like, um, Apparently, Jesus' life ends very badly. If you are publicly executed by the Romans, that's not a good look. It's not a good finish. So for you to say, I follow Jesus, he died on a cross, people would be like, that's dumb. Why would, you, why would you do that? Even today, if you said, I'm a follower of this person who was, if we're going to put it in modern terms, who was electrocuted by the state, the state prison system and then was eventually electrocuted for their crimes. Nobody would look at you and think that that's a good idea. They would think, like, that's not, that, that did not work out well. This is not your life goals is to end up electrocuted. But, the, but this is what happens to Jesus. He's killed on a cross. And that idea that you would follow someone is, as Paul says, it's folly. It sounds, it sounds stupid to people in that culture. And then he quotes the Old Testament. And he says, uh, that, that is written that God says, I will destroy, destroy the wisdom of the wise and thwart the w- wisdom of discerning. Now, to be wise and discerning, that's a good idea. He's not against that you and I would become wise or we would be discerning. These are, these are all good things. Um, but there's a contrast that he makes there that he's starting to make between wisdom that comes from God and wisdom that comes from man. Because we, we have plenty of wisdom from man, right? But we're a little short on the actual wisdom from God. Let's continue on as he talks about it. Verse 20, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. It's kind of these two cultures he's talking about. The Jews want signs, Greeks want wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
All right, there's a lot to unpack there. He starts out by saying, okay, who's wise in our culture? What, where, where are we going for wisdom? Who's the debater of this age? Who's the philosopher? The word philosophy comes, the Greek word Sophia is the Greek word for wisdom. So if your name's Sophia, that's where it comes from. It's the Greek word for wisdom. And the word philosophy, philo and Sophia, is lover of wisdom. So he's saying, who are these people that love wisdom? God has thwarted this. God is higher than this. God is greater than this. He has more wisdom than any of our current thoughts of, of, about life. In, in Corinth and in the ancient world in the first century, you're going to have two main schools of thought about what life is, what we should be doing, what it's all about. One of them is it was, was started by a guy named Epicurus, and it's called Epicureanism. And the Epicurean ideal in the ancient world, that philosophy, is basically like, hey, life is hard and short, therefore, the goal of life is to be happy, and you should do that through seeking pleasure. So Epicureans would be the pleasure seekers of the culture. We should drink it, live it, climb it, surf it, whatever. Like, we're going to go enjoy it because we have to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Life is brutal and short, and we're just going to enjoy. And the purpose of life is to enjoy as much as you can for as long as you can and just stay on that ride as long. And, and, and that's Epicureanism. Now, it, it had maybe some a little deeper the, uh, philosophical underpinnings, but over time it sort of degraded and devolved into very... Um, licentiousness or like a, a very degraded sort of materialism and, and sensual pleasure kind of worldview. So there, there's a lot of people that live that way in the ancient world. And I would argue, and this is where the scripture aligns with our culture so well, isn't that a pretty good description of the large part of America? That we are a, a culture in, in the world that is pursuing happiness and pleasure, and you got to enjoy things, and you got to live it, and, and, and all. We, we, we don't call it Epicureanism. We call it YOLO. YOLO and like FOMO, like put those together, and you have sort of this modern American, let's enjoy things while we can, and, and there's songs about it. We celebrate it in art, like that, that kind of life. So that's the Epicurean worldview, the wisdom of the age that Paul's talking about. There's another one called Stoicism. Stoicism's named for uh, stoa, which is a Greek word for like a uh, column or like portico. Or, uh, I'm sorry, it's the Greek word for porch. So there was this painted porch that a guy named Zeno uh, in 280 BC used to teach from this painted porch. And his philosophy was sort of this painted porch philosophy. It's, it's Stoicism. And Stoicism looks at the same conditions of the world, that life is short and brutal and hard. And instead of saying, therefore, we must pursue pleasure, Stoicism says, therefore, we must learn honor and pride and dignity, and we must learn to stand up under the pain and handle whatever life sends our way. And so you see this Stoic idea uh, famously written about in the ancient world. That probably the, there's a couple surviving philosophers that we have of Stoicism written. Marcus Aurelius is one. Um, Seneca is one. And Epictetus are kind of the three big ones that we still hear about to this day. Um, and, and, and Stoicism is that idea. Like suffering will come. You're, you're supposed to. Life is about bearing up under it, not pursuing pleasure. That's silly. You need to learn to bear up under the, the pain. And that is a, a, a philosophy of the age that people in Corinth would have been very familiar with and, and kind of marinated their brains in that kind of philosophy. That philosophy still exists today in, in some really good ways. Um, I, I think there's some good things that come out of it. Uh, that philosophy exists. Uh, there's pieces of Buddhism that, that pull on that. 
Um, if, if you're into psychology and counseling, something like cognitive behavioral therapy uh, pulls from Stoicism in some ways. Um, if you like leadership books, if you've ever read Ryan Holiday, uh, The Obstacle is the Way, books like that, he's basically doing Stoic philosophy for the modern world. So there's some good stuff out there, but these are the... And I, and I have... And truthfully, I've learned from those things over the years. But what Paul is going to is going to go, okay, this is, here's the schools of thought, here's the wisdom of the age, and, and Christ comes along, and, and, and God enters the world, and, and through even the cross, which we'll get into much more next week, uh, he, has, he has thwarted the wise, he has taken the, the, their best guess at the way the world works, and he's made it seem foolish. It is, it is night and day. And Paul's concern is that the church in Corinth is going to get sucked into living just these worldly philosophies and and pursuing this worldly wisdom. And I think that's the same concern for us in the church today. Um, Our culture cranks out new wisdom, it seems, like every week or so. Like there's a new way to live, a new way to be, and here's why you should meditate, and here's how you should pursue happiness, and here's what you should eat or not eat, and here's the exercise that you should do, and this is your, what career should be, and this is what finances should be, and here's how you, you know, center your mind and calm, and here's how you handle anxiety and fear, and all of these things are coming at us all the time, um, and there's some good things in there, but, but at the end of the day, to sort through all the mess, we need, all of us need this, we need a, a, a guiding light, a... a a north star, a, a, a focal point to say, like, this is the direction that, that I'm, I'm going to go um, so that we don't come apart. Um, I had to learn how to dance uh, years ago. I know when you look at me, you think, that guy must be a dancer. Um, I'm not going to do it for you. Um, but I had, because I was in a, I was in a show, and uh, you know when they talk about in, in a, musical theater, it's like a, a triple threat. You can sing, you can act, and you can dance. I was like, nobody called me a threat. I was like a, a mild, a mild a nuisance maybe, not a threat. Um, but I could, I could act some and I could sing. Um, so I had to learn how to dance for a show that I was in years ago. And it was the dance instructor, she's like, I'm gonna teach you like a tergite with a soda bosque. And I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know what any of that means. Um, but they, they taught us to spin, not, you know, like, Spin, like, um, yeah, okay, we, we got it, I don't need to, okay, good. So they taught us to spin, and um, one of the things they tell you, and you can see this if you see a, a ballet dancer, is that if you're going to spin, like, multiple times, one of the things they tell you is that as you, as you spin, you look, and you focus on a point, like, on the wall about head height, you look at something, and then when you spin, right, you snap your head back to that point so that you're always looking at that point. And, and the constant focus on that one point is what helps you not, you know, spin out of control and fall. And I thought, that's, that's actually a pretty useful concept, not just in, in dancing or spinning, in case you ever need to do that. Um, it's pretty useful in life, too. Like, if we can focus on the thing and, and keep our eyes and, and, keep, and constantly snap our head back towards it, um, that's how we're going to not fall. And, and this is what Paul wants the church at Corinth to do, and, and, and what I think we should be listening to is, hey, you, you've got to see the thing and, and keep looking at it. Um, stay focused on it so that, so that you, you, you don't fall. The, the wisdom of God is the focal point. Christ and his teaching should be the first place that we go when things are hard or when we need wisdom. So here's my question. Where do you go 
when you want to make sense of the world around you. When, when things go poorly, when someone gets sick, when there's a virus, when there's a, a job loss, when there's a custody battle, when, there's, when you're dealing with some poor choices made by family members, where do you go when you want to make sense of all of that? Google? Do you go to Twitter? Do you go ask your dad? Do you ask your work friends? Or do you first say, I'm going to pray and talk to God and maybe even open the scripture and see, see what's there? Now, I've got to be honest, I don't always get this right. I, I, I don't always get it right. Um, I, 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 I can freak out too. I can go from zero to freak out in like five seconds. I'm probably not the only one who's like that. But do you go to God? Um, what, what, what would you go to God for, right, when you, when you, need, when you need him? Uh, what would that be? Well, Paul points out two things here. He, he basically says um, signs and, and wisdom. And he, said, he says this whole thing. He goes, he says, the Jews want signs. Um, here's the deal. That's, that's, that's kind of on the power of God side of things. The Jews are looking for some manifestation of God's power because for the Jews, they're used to thinking through the scripture and thinking through God and thinking through the issues and they have rabbis with different schools of thought and it's like, I follow this rabbi and I follow this rabbi and everybody's used to learning from learned men and, and they're like, okay, we've got this whole scholarly thing going on and we're all studying that. But what's gonna cut through all of the opinions and wisdom in their culture is a sign somebody shows up and, and they said not just I am right but I can prove it because bam here's the power of God you, you see this even in the ancient world with, with Moses when, when God tells Moses go to Pharaoh and, 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 and lead, the, lead my people the Israelites out of Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go Moses' response is what sign can I give people I don't have any power, and then God's like, throw your staff down, and he throws a staff down, it turns into a snake, and it's like, oh, that is actually pretty impressive. If you, if you do that, people will listen to me because I'm showing them a sign that is a demonstration that I have the power of God with me. This is what the Jews want. They want, you tell me about Jesus, sure, tell me about one more teacher, philosopher, rabbi, some great teaching, some great school of thought. I got that for days. What I want is power. Can you show me some, some, some power? Of God, and and I think um, even to this day there are those who want um, power, right? You 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 may want that too. And then the second part is he said this is folly to the, to the Greeks. Um, Christ is the wisdom from God. So the Greeks maybe not necessarily looking for power, but they're looking for what is the wisest way to live, who is wise in, in our culture. And, and this idea of Christ being the teacher who dies for your sins on the cross is, is folly to the Greeks. They think that's not wisdom, that's ridiculous. Um, what, but, but we need to go to God for um, wisdom. Uh, he is the highest expression Jesus is the highest expression of wisdom from God that we can experience here on earth. There are plenty of wise teachers in the world, and you probably know some, and you've probably read some. There is a lot of wisdom out there, but Jesus is the ultimate expression of God on earth. He is the ultimate um, understanding and teaching around who are you, why are you, what is your life for, what are you about, 
What is your body for? What is pleasure for? What is happiness? What is the purpose of pain? Like all of these things come together in Christ. He explains this for us. He models these things for us. He teaches these things to us so that we can know who we are, what we are, and, 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 and why we are. Why do I have pain and suffer? This is why we go to God for wisdom because I want to know why I have pain and suffer. I want to know why I have joy and why it doesn't always last. I want to know what pleasure it is about and what, what does it serve. I want to know the children that I have, what is the purpose of being a parent? I, I, I want to I, I know what to make of the years that I get here on earth. This is why I go to God for this kind of, of wisdom. And I'm telling you, as followers of Jesus, you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you should not be grasping at straws on all of these issues. It should not be just like, oh, I just, I don't really know. I'm not saying you don't have your moments of doubt. We all do. But we shouldn't be grasping at straws. The ancient truths from Jesus about humanity are still true. We don't have to reinvent them every couple of years. We don't have to reinvent them, you know, every time Richard Rohr or somebody comes out with a new book of here's all the things you, you thought were right and now are, are actually wrong. Like, we don't need to do that. The ancient truth is still truth. And of all people, the followers of Jesus should, should be the people who are going, okay, uh, I've got questions about how my life will work out, but on, on the big picture items, um, I get it. Um, the ancient truths are still true. The fool, and, and Paul even ends it by saying the foolishness of God is, is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God on his worst day is better than any of us on our best day is the way Paul says that. And look, at, he, he talks about the church in Corinth specifically here in verse 26. Listen to what he says. He, he, he calling them out. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And, be, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption." Paul basically says to the church in Corinth who's having a fuss and they're struggling and whatever, he goes, hey, think about yourselves, guys. Like, look in the mirror for a second. You were not the best and brightest in Corinth. You're not amazing. Not, very, not to say nobody was noble or nobody was wealthy, but clearly not many of them were. And he's like, really, the majority of you church folk in, in Corinth, you're regular. You're ordinary. People from a worldly standard aren't going to look at you and be like, oh, you're so powerful, you're so wealthy, of course you follow Jesus because that's what wealthy, powerful people do. No, in that culture, it's just like they're just very ordinary people, um, not fancy. Christianity has always flourished under ordinary people, under regular Joes. It makes me think of when uh, Peter and John are preaching in the book of Acts and they're brought before the religious leaders and, and, in Acts chapter 4, and, and, and they... And they teach about Jesus to the very learned scholarly people in Jerusalem. And those learned scholarly people see Peter and John speak. And in Acts 4.12, it said they were amazed at them because they were unschooled, ordinary men. Peter and John, like, you know, fishermen and stuff. It's like they're regular, like they're just blue-collar, regular folk. And, and, and it, it's amazing the wisdom that they have because it's, it's not theirs. It's actually from, from God. It's, it's a powerful thing. 
Corinth was like that, regular people, and God works through them. And, and Area 10 is like that too. There's a range of people here that, that have all sorts of experiences and backgrounds and levels of education and incomes and, um, and, 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 and we're ordinary. And that's a beautiful thing. God always shines brightly through very regular sort of bulbs. He actually says, so no human might boast. So nobody's like, I'm actually so amazing, that's why God chose me. Paul's like, nah, that's not how it works. It's not that you're so amazing God chose you. It's God's going to do his work through you, and you're just kind of regular, and that's okay. It's a, it's, it's a powerful thing that, that, Paul, that Paul points us to. So let me ask you, what do you need most from God right now? Because Paul's talking about power, which we'll talk more about next week, and then wisdom. You might need power if you're at the end of your rope and you don't feel like you can do it one more day. If you're, if you're struggling in that, in that custody battle, if you're, if you're struggling with, with pain of, of some bad decisions that you made or people have made around you when you're struggling with work and, and there's a confrontation you need to have, like there's courage that you might need and you might need God's power to show up and do something that you don't think you can do yourself. And maybe right now that's what you're praying for. Maybe you need power to quit a habitual sin, something that's sticking with you and you can't seem to let it go. You need God's power to show up. Or maybe what you need is wisdom. You have hard decisions that you're facing. Should I date this person? Should we get married? Should I go to school? Uh, should I go to that school? Is this a job that I should take? Where can I find a job? Like, what, what, am, I gonna, what am I gonna do next? There, sometimes we have to make hard choices, and the wise thing isn't always a choice between good and bad. Sometimes the wise thing is a choice between good and slightly better, maybe, or two things that seem equally good. Like, how do we make the wise decision there? Um, that maybe that's the space that you're in. Here's, here's how you get wisdom of God, briefly. Number one, um, read a little bit each day to get the wisdom of God in your head. Um, I have Ephesians 4.29 in my head. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need. Do you know how useful that is just in life? You know, like, when, you, when you're, there needs to be a filter between here and here, you know, like that filter. Ephesians 4.29 is a pretty good one. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is useful for building others up according to their needs. Um, I know that verse because I memorized it, and I memorized it because, I mean, it's, 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 it's a tool for life. It's wisdom from God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with thanksgiving, but in prayer and petition, present your request to God. Uh, Philippians 4. Um, I, I know that verse because I can be anxious about everything, right? Like, and, and I'm guessing you can too. And it says, do not be anxious about anything. And then it says, instead, here's what you do. Present it to God. Pray to him, talk to him, and thank him. And, and let, that, let that change you. In, in a culture of fear and anxiety, isn't that useful? Isn't that useful wisdom from God? And I, and I don't get that from, I mean, I, I did read it, but I, I eventually, like, it got into me and I memorized it. And, and you may have some that are like that as well. Get the wisdom from the Lord. When I, when I read the scripture, what I'm reading is the creator of me reminding me how me is supposed to work in part. Now, I'm learning about him, his character, all, 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 all of that, but I'm also learning about 
who I am and, and, and how this is supposed to work. And that is useful and helpful. So I would say, just read a little bit. I, I, heard, uh, I heard Rick Warren, pastor out in California, uh, and, and, he, and he said, G-W-F-W. Like, that's, that's our, that's our he, he's got all these like little quotable things, right? So his thing is like, G-W-F-W. I'm like, God's word, first word. And then G-W-L-W, God's word, last word. And he said, I tell our church, First thing you do when you wake up in the morning, read God's word. Start a, a few sentences, paragraph, until, read until you feel like, okay, I got, I got what I need for the day or, I got, or God's communicating to me through this or whatever. Just read something. First word, before you look at your phone, before you get into all of the things and the emails and the whatever, God's word, first word. And then at the end of the day, he says, do it last. Read. I, 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 I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good on the last word part. I've been better on the first word part and doing it in the morning. Um, but, but some strategy like that where you, you get in and you read. Um, so that would, that's number one way to get wisdom. A second way to, to get wisdom, I would say, is to get together regularly with other believers because all of us can go off track. This is why we have small groups, formation groups. This is why we gather as a church. This is why we do different events. Yes, we want people to know each other and find their people, but also we want to grow together. We want to hold each other accountable. We want to move forward in the same direction together. We're all on purpose and mission together. And you get together with other people to, to get wisdom. Because there are people in here that are wiser than you. There's people in here that are wiser than me. There's people to look up to um, and, and that you can learn from. And a lot of people were like, well, who's like, the, let me just identify like the one wise person and then we'll like build a pyramid under them. And, and everybody believes I'm probably near the bottom of wisdom. No, I mean like you can help people along and help them take the next step of the journey almost in, in almost any spot that you're on uh, on the journey. So get together with other believers and, and get wisdom because all of us are capable of self-deception. All of us have blind spots and we need people to walk with us and say, no, this is what is true of God. This is, this is true. No, remember this. Remember this verse. Remember this idea. Remember that this is true. This is why we come together as a church to, to, to hold each other accountable and to grow. Um, I, I, I guess uh, w- wisdom and, and power um, would sort of be like two pedals on a bike. So I was, um, I went for a bike ride this week. On Monday, we had a, a, a the beginning of the month, we do a, a prayer and uh, like a prayer day as a staff where we all go off by ourselves and read and pray. And so I, I got a, a bike, I like to road bike, and I went, I went out to Dory Park from my house, which is about 14 miles so I ride out on the trail, Capitol Trail, go out there to the park, and it's great. I'm out there, and I'm like reading my Bible, and I'm praying and journaling. I brought some other books to read, too, and I'm just reading some stuff. And I was like, good. I was sitting by a lake, a little fountain. It was nice. So I'm sitting there. It was great. And then I was like, good exercise, you know, 14 miles out there. I'll ride home. That's 28 miles for the day. That's going to be great, you know. Well, as I go to, to go home, to, to head back, um, my left pedal's being a little weird. I'm like, ah, it's kind of... It's wobbly a little bit or something. I'm like, whatever, I'll, I'll look at it when I get home so I can get it fixed. So before I go, I have to go to the bathroom. So I decide to uh, ride through the playground. And there's an asphalt path that I'm on, and I'm riding to the, to the bathroom. And, I, and as I go in through there, busy playground's a beautiful day. There's children and, and their parents and care providers, like, all around. And I'm riding, and I, I lean into, I'm not going particularly fast, but I, I lean into this pedal and, and I, what I found out later, because I couldn't tell in the split second that this happened, but the pedal snapped off. And I went like that, and then I went over 
and landed here and uh, kind of tore my, tore my arm up through here. It hurt really bad here and tore my arm. It happened quickly. I had headphones in. One of them fell out. Suddenly, I'm lying on the ground. I don't know what happened. The music's still playing. I'm super disoriented. I'm in a lot of pain. And a woman pretty close to me, she comes over and she's like, are you okay? You know, and, and you know, I'm like, I'm fine. How are you? No, it's like, what, you know, I appreciate that she's trying, um, but... But I did, you know, in the moment, I think what I said was, oh, it's like, because it hurt really bad on my, on my lower back. And so I'm just laying there, I'm like, and then she's like, are, are, she says again, like, are you okay? And I'm like, it's not great. Uh, it's okay. I was pretty sure nothing was broken, but it hurt a lot. Um, anyway, I, I was able, and then like, Small children were coming over to me to check on me because they were really worried. His mom brought over a kid. She's like, he was really scared when he saw that happen. I was like, I also was scared. It was not, you know, it was not great for me either. Um, so, but I made that kid feel better. So that's fine. So anyway, um, so I got up and, and, you know, my pedal had snapped off and the whole, the whole arm of the pedal snapped off. And so, um, you know, as I was falling, I was thinking, this will be a great sermon illustration someday. No, I wasn't. I was thinking, what is happening? Uh, but as I thought about it, um, here's, here's the thing. Like, um, when you push a pedal, it has to hold your weight. If it doesn't hold your weight, things are going to go very badly for you and very quickly. And the issue is not how necessarily how hard you push it or even how much you trust the pedal. The issue is, is it trustworthy or not? And I think if, if wisdom and power are the two pedals, a lot of us for a long time have been leaning on a wisdom pedal that can't actually hold our weight. And if it hasn't already, it's, a, it's eventually going to snap off. And you know exactly what that's like because you, you have done things in your life and I have done things in my life that I thought was awesome in the moment. I thought I was wise, I thought this was a good decision, and it was a bad decision. We all have this list of bad decisions, right? You've done that. And what is that? That is us leaning on the pedal and thinking it's going to hold, and it will not. It will just snap, and you're going to fall. And what I want to tell you is that I truly believe that the wisdom of God is a pedal that won't snap. Now, you may find that hard to believe because you may have fallen off the bike before. And I'm telling you, right now, my bike isn't fixed yet, but right now, I'm a little hesitant to get on a bike. You know, like if you fall off the horse, you're supposed to get back on the horse. I'm like, yeah, not so much. I don't know that I want to do that again because I saw how quickly it goes off for you and how badly it can go. And maybe you feel that way. You've trusted God or something in the past with something, and it did not go the way you wanted it to, and you're hesitant to get back on that bike. I get it. But my experience has been... Um, he can sustain you, and he can handle the amount of weight and pressure that you will put there. And so we need to trust him and, and reach out to him and seek his wisdom, the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man. Let's pray. God, there are many times and in many ways that I want to do it myself ever since I've been a little kid. I've wanted to make it happen and accomplish and achieve and just do my thing. But God, I acknowledge that it is only through your power that I've done anything. It is 
your strength, your wisdom that, that I need to lean on. And God, I confess that there are times that I don't. I still try to do it on my own. And I imagine, Lord, that that's true for many of us in the room. So God, we come to you today saying it is your wisdom we seek. It is your wisdom that's going to help us keep it together when things are flying apart. It is your wisdom and, and being dialed into it that will help us as a church hold it together when it feels like there are forces ripping us apart. God, speak to us, work with us, reveal your wisdom to us, um, because we know that it holds, even, even though we have fallen in the past, we know that your wisdom is, is, is where it's at and can sustain us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.